Hey everybody, and welcome back. Today, I'm excited to have on Aaron Ingram. Aaron was a Navy pilot who chose to get out of the service in order to work in commercial real estate before moving into his current role at Pre-Veteran, which is an organization that tries to help veterans start their transition planning one to three years out. This episode is absolutely full of knowledge for individuals preparing for their military transition, so I recommend you listen to the entire episode. As always, I've included timestamps in the description so you can skip around to different sections. And finally, if you want to support the show, subscribing on your favorite platform and sharing the message with others is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the show. Solemnly swear. To solemnly swear. That I will support and defend. That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Post-Military Podcast, the podcast where we give you life advice and stories about how to prepare for the next transition in your life. Today is my get on today on with me is my guest, Aaron Ingram. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. I want to say right off the bat, the Naval Academy is not nearly as cool as the Air Force Academy. But I hope we can move through our differences and have a wonderful podcast together. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt that that we can move past that. But during my time, we did get the All Academy trophy every year when I was at the Academy. So I'm just saying while I was there, we were the You're best. On top. I don't I don't know what happened after we left or anything like that. I'm not responsible for that. But <laughs> um, and hey, I did cool. go on a recruiting trip to Air Force and a Navy, and guess where I applied? To be fair, the Annapolis campus is significantly cooler, in my opinion, than the Air Like the Air Force, it's cool because you're in the mountains, but you're not near anything. And then Navy, you're like in Annapolis. You walk through the gate and you're in the city. And I love that a lot. So I think you made a you made a pretty solid choice. And you flew anyway. So like you got the best of yeah, both worlds. <laughs> it was. And, and not only that, I flew a platform that was land-based. So I wasn't even on a ship. So I basically lived the Air Force life, but in the Navy. So I got the best of both worlds. That's awesome. Cheap. And that's a excellent way to segue into our first topic of conversation, which is your military experience. So if you could tell all of our guests very not it doesn't have to be brief but what your career pre-transition looked like yeah from a high level you're seeing a guy who went from navy pilot to commercial real estate and we'll talk about that journey and how i got there but starting out i was obviously at the naval academy graduated went off to flight school and that journey started in 2012 a lot of moves and a lot of Goings on with flight school. And then when I graduated, I went off and flew the P-8 Poseidon, which is a, a maritime patrol aircraft. We do ISR and anti-submarine warfare, a cool mission. And I enjoyed the platform. I enjoyed what we were doing. And yeah, I generally just had a really good time while I served in the Navy. And I got to spend a lot of time in the Pacific Theater. So a couple deployments out of Okinawa, a lot of detachments and exercises and global ops around the world. But I did really enjoy it. During that time, I got married, had kids, and priorities shifted a little bit for me, right? That when I was entering into the military, I had just a different set of priorities that I was looking to get out of my service. And I did want to serve and I wanted to give back. And that was a big driver. Um, but I also didn't have anything really tying me into one location in particular. So 
that shifted though. Once I got married and started having kids, I saw that eventually I wanted to wind down this military life where we're moving every couple of years. And I wanted to set roots somewhere and then really just be settled for my family so that we could be in one place. Yeah. So, then, oh, yeah. sorry, please continue. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so we, we were planning to get out when we could. And by the way, congrats on your own baby. Thank you. On the way. I, I appreciate that. We, uh, we are very excited. She, well, not she, we don't know. My wife wants it to be a girl, but uh, they're due in March. So we'll see. But uh, one question that I had that I wanted to ask you, this is the post-military podcast for sure, but there's, I'm always very interested for people who've done careers that I'm very unfamiliar with. What does anti-submarine operations look like during the war on terror? Because ISIS isn't rocking around in Ohio-class subs. What's that look like? No, most Middle Eastern countries don't really have submarines. There's some... Iran has a couple like diesel subs and stuff like that, but... No, so we're in Asia. We're in the Pacific Theater, I guess, doing peacetime ops. But as you may or may not know, we've been in a proxy war with China for some time where either through North Korea or through economic means or through cyber means, we've been in an engagement with China. So China provokes in international seas by building up these islands in the South China Sea. And so we surveilled that. That was the ISR side of that, was keeping eyes on China and updating the Pentagon with what is going on in that area. And then the anti-submarine warfare part of our mission was flying low, essentially dropping buoys in the water based off data or leads we would get on, hey, there may be something over here, we would go check it out. And then, of course, we would try to find that the submarine, whether it be Chinese or another nation that we're prosecuting, and really we're trying to get as much data as we can from that and, and really just find out where they are so that we can send that information back. So essentially. We're dropping buoys in the water and we have guys in the back doing their thing. They're acoustic operators that they're able to find the subs based off of their training and the signals we're getting. So when you say flying low, like how far off of like the sea are you going? Yeah, so the P8's a 737. So to give you context, that's all that Southwest Airlines flies. So if you've flown Southwest, you were in a 737. And that's the platform the Navy uses and is outfitted for this mission. And we'd be 500 feet over the water oftentimes, but a common altitude would be yeah, like a thousand feet above the water. That's crazy. That's super cool. That's such an issue. I, when I was in college, I, ha- I, I studied history, military history specifically, and I have this just fascination for this unit of reconnaissance planes called the PB... PBY-12 Catalinas, which did all the long-range reconnaissance for the U.S. Navy in the Pacific in World War II. And so I just, that's a whole other podcast, but yeah, uh, I can just sure. i can just geek out over, that's just stuff sounds really cool. So thank no, you I, so much. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, gonna, I love that stuff. I got somewhere back there on my bookshelf with the book Skunk Works about the stealth project and the development of the U-2 and, and some of Lockheed's programs through the CIA that happened behind closed doors that we know about now, but back then we're pretty hush and how we developed stealth technology. Basically it's really an interesting story. And so I love that stuff. Isn't it crazy how early they were building that stuff like decades ago and 
only recently do you really I remember it was a huge deal when they when they like revealed the predecessor to the B2 which was the it's not the I can't remember the the designation right now but it, it was like that other angly looking plane and everyone was oh my god stealth and this we've had this in development for decades and then <laughs> it just makes you think like man what do they got in development right now that we'll find out about in 50 years so it's exactly I don't know but uh, so for you when you were you knew you were wanting to get out because your kids come you wanted to be a more family focused environment when did you make that decision in your career and then how long was it between when you made the decision and when you got out? Yeah, so I, I think it was actually going into my second tour where I was going out to Okinawa to be a station pilot. And during that time, we had two kids. My wife was pregnant with her third, and we have four now. Um, but going out to Okinawa just made things slow down a little bit for us, and we spend more time together. And it just made me realize that Things were changing in our lives and our desires and what we wanted for our family was different than what we had before. So that's when we started having those discussions. And then I knew the career progression as well. So generally pilots have to serve, at least for the Navy side, we have to do eight years after winging. And so that ends up usually being 10 years into your career. So it's deep into a career to make a decision to get out. Most people want to try to stay in for retirement or something like that. But I very deliberately knew that my next tour was going to be on an aircraft carrier. I'd be gone a lot and I wouldn't be flying. And so to me, it was a lose-lose proposition where I wasn't going to be doing anything I enjoyed and I was going to be away from my family more than I ever had before. And it was all to get a promotion. And it just didn't align with the values that I had at that time. So that's when I was leaning into getting out of the military and figuring out what that looked like. The first question that I want to get to before we start talking about what your preparation looked like, how did you, how do you feel like you got through that fear of the unknown on, well, we'll go, I'll talk about the second piece in a second, but like you pointed out very rightly, a lot of people who end up flying for the military, they're basically halfway there or more by the time that they get, they finish up their service commitment and then they get hit with the bonuses and all those, like those things that offer some stability. How did you, what do you think you did well to get over that fear of instability? I think, looking for help, realizing that I didn't know what I was doing and I needed someone who knew what to do to help me. And that's not a natural instinct for military folks, whether you be an officer enlisted. By the time at a certain point in your career, people look to you for answers and people look to you to make decisions. And so you become in that role, in that position. And then as a husband and father, I think it doubles that mentality where you feel like you're responsible for a lot and you have to drive the decision-making and and it has to come from you. And so you get into this going-it-alone mindset that you think you have to do everything. And then you look towards an environment that you totally don't understand. I've never gotten out of the military. I don't know what that looks like. And by the way, I made a major decision that not only was I going to leave the military, I was going to 
not go into commercial aviation because the natural progression, especially when you fly a 737, is most of my peers were going to the major airlines and flying for them. Well, what does that lifestyle look like? And to me, I'd always looked ahead at the people who were in front of me doing the thing that I was considering. And I asked myself, do I want to be in their shoes? Do I, is that something I would want for my life? How they're living right now? Is that something desirable to me? Because when I looked at doing my next tour on the aircraft carrier and how I said that didn't align with my values, that's because I looked towards people who are doing that. And I saw the challenges they're facing doing that. And of course, it's not all bad. They were having good experiences too, but it just wasn't aligned with my values. And so acknowledging and recognizing that was a, a great first step. And then looking at my options, my obvious options on the outside, and then saying, hey, is this a good fit? Would this be a better alternative? Well, as I went into understanding commercial aviation, I came to understand that I was going to be gone a lot. I was going to be away from home a lot, overnighting in cities that were not home. And so I came to realize that, holy cow, I'm about to get out of the military. If I do this very parallel job, the issue is that it's going to be just like the military. And so I'm not improving the thing I'm trying to improve. And so that's when I very deliberately said, I need to do something totally different. And that's when a little bit of panic and emotions start setting in and you start going, oh, shoot, how am I going to do this? I have no idea what I'm doing. And then, of course, you're surrounded by military people. And especially, even worse, I was overseas. So I really couldn't network with civilians too much because it was all U.S. military people or Japanese nationals. And so that puts you in a position of, how do I do this? And really just start getting rid of your own ego and your own thought process that told you that you had to make all the decisions yourself, you start realizing that I need to ask for help here. And so when you realized that you needed to ask for help, you realized you didn't want to go into commercial aviation for, I think are really good reasons because most people, I don't think, and I want to ask you why later, I don't think many veterans have that forward-looking mindset of if I just follow the common or well-laid-out path, does that really fix the things I don't like in the current chapter of my life? I don't think a lot of people think that, so I want to talk to you about why that is later. But when you realize that for yourself, what did you start doing to fill in those gaps in information and overcoming that hesitancy or fear that you felt? Well, luckily I had some time, right? That I recognized all this over a year out. And so I told myself, all right, I have this much time to prepare and figure this out, but I need to start getting after it now. So I took to the internet. I had a LinkedIn profile already. I started engaging on there a little bit. And I, in the back of my mind, I was just thinking I need to reach out to people that are in industry because like I'd always done before, I need to find people that are doing the thing I'm considering so that I know whether or not that's a good fit. So turns out these are called subject matter experts and there's a very professional way to do these interactions. And then there's a not so good way to do these interactions. And I had not figured out what the process looked like yet, but 
I reached out to Jason Anderson because I saw he was at an aerospace and defense company. I thought, hey, engineering background, aviation experience, um, aerospace and defense. That's just where my brain went. So I reached out to him and we had a totally different conversation than I was expecting. Because at the time he had just developed his pre-veteran program and was rolling it out. And I was ended up getting into one of the first cohorts of that pre-veteran program as a student. And that was the beginning of a total transformation mindset shift and really the first step forward in my transition process was going through the program with pre-veteran and it was very unique. It was a very new thing at the time. And uh, like I said, it addressed things that I hadn't seen talked about anywhere else. And it did so in a way that I hadn't seen done anywhere else. So I found it very different and very unique. And just because of that, I was drawn to it. And also knowing that TAP, I'd talked to everyone who had gone through TAP and people had been on the other side. And I knew it was a week long. And I just thought in one week's time, I don't think I'm going to be able to figure out all the stuff I need to figure out. I don't think that's going to be the Hail Mary I need to figure it all out. So yeah, pre-veteran, I was grateful I did that program because it gave me a new mindset and new tools to tackle my transition with a framework that was organized. And so I could actually be efficient with my efforts because at the time going into that program, you asked about, hey, how did you handle this? Part of it was realizing I need help. The other side of that was I was spinning my wheels a lot. I went and got my PMP. I was looking at MBA programs like every other service academy graduate on the face of the planet. I'm going to go get my MBA. It's funny because it's true. It's I see it every day. But we don't know why we're doing these things, right? Like I was never going to be a project manager, but I went and got my PMP. Why did I do that? So there was a, a side where I did some things well, which was ask for help. The other side, which wasn't so good, was wasting a lot of time, effort, and energy doing things that didn't matter. Why do you think this goes into that, the question that I alluded to earlier, and you double tapped it when you were talking about MBAs and the PMP. Why do you think we as military people always end up just almost falling into these stereotypical paths out of the military. You're a pilot, you go fly for Delta or whoever. You're an academy grad, you go to an MBA program and then you go do something else. Like, why do you think that, I'm guilty of it, cyber warfare, I work as a cybersecurity consultant in Amazon Web Services. I'd like to think that I added some more nuance to my decision. But now that I have done this podcast and interact with a lot of people like yourself, I really didn't. So why do you think that veterans so easily just fall into these stereotypes? I think one thing is we don't understand risk very well in terms of the private sector and what risk looks like in the private sector. But I think to a greater effect, to a greater effect is really just what possibilities are we giving ourselves? Because I think of this experiment that was done a long time ago called the elevator experiment where people, one guy would get in the elevator and basically turn around backwards 
and then they would wait for new folks to come into the elevator and then they would have two or three actors that would turn it face backwards and then as more people came in the experiment was to see if the non-players were going to turn and face the wrong direction or if they were going to face the elevator door where it clearly was and it was like 99% of the time these folks would turn and face the wrong direction and so obviously it's just having to deal with conformity and doing what seems to make sense based on what you're seeing around you the problem with that is when you're in the military environment all you're seeing is the effects of that military environment and you're not seen very far outside of that so Take me, for example, I was flying a Boeing aircraft. So we worked with third-party contractors who worked for Boeing. And so I was familiar with the company Boeing. And that was like my first thought and go-to when I was looking at private sector jobs. Oh, I'm going to go work at Boeing because I know other folks who went there and worked there. And I was limiting myself to that option and I was limiting myself to commercial aviation because what did my friends and my peers do? They went to commercial aviation. The ones who didn't do that, what did they do? They went and got their MBA. So I was like, well, I got to I gotta choose one of these three things because that's all I know. <laughs> and it's just such a limiting mindset because there's a world of possibilities when you get out of the military and you go into the private sector that you're not going to get another set of orders. You're not going to have anyone tell you what's next. You're not going to have anyone tell you what to do. Even though you may desire that, you may actually want that and not realize it because you're used to getting those orders and used to just waiting for that what, what's next being told to you. But there are so many options out there. And if you are deliberate and intentional with it, you can explore that entirely new world early enough that you can actually transform and align to that industry where you find an interest. And then you can make yourself a very viable and good candidate for a job, literally in any industry. And you can pivot your background and experience as a military person into that industry. And I think people just don't realize the options that are out there. And so if there's one thing I'd try to push to folks is that don't limit yourself to what you're seeing around you. Don't limit yourself to what your friends and peers are doing. Look at other options. Consider other options. What do you want to do next? Hmm. I think that's a great call out. And the one thing that I would add to that is in today's world of social media, you already talked about how you got on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's probably the place that most people go to, not only because Taps tells you to get to go there, but it's just like the job social platform. I, not everybody does this, but I think that there's a lot of people that talk about military transition in terms of your job, getting a job, getting paid well. And it, it very much so boils down transition into get your VA benefits, get paid. And I think that a lot of veterans or people who are getting out see that. And then that's what they assume the transition is all about. When in reality, there's a whole lifestyle values aspect to it that is not considered, but if you're just a victim of what you might not 
think that. And it just means you fall into these very ingrained paths that you so rightly, you so rightly were talking about. The next question that I wanted to ask you before we go forward, because I want to get into pre-vets because spoiler, that's where you work now. But something that you said that I found really interesting was you said that there's good and bad convert. There's good and bad ways to have conversations when you're doing this like networking stuff. What does that mean? Because I think this is a very important point that a lot of military people are ill prepared for unless someone talks them through and coaches them on the methodology of these some people call them informational interviews. Some people call it like coffee chats or whatever. So what does good and bad versions of those conversations mean to you? I think it's about being efficient and coming across professionally. And we'll get to it talking about pre-veteran. But one of the things we acknowledge in our course is that most veterans have used technology and they know how to use Zoom and they know how to use Google and they know how to use all these tools, LinkedIn. The problem is they haven't integrated everything and they don't know how to efficiently use those technologies towards their employment goals. And for instance, if you're trying to reach out to a subject matter expert, it's nice to have a Calendly set up that's integrated with Zoom. That way, instead of having a back and forth about, hey, when are you available? Well, I'm available this time. Does that work for you? What time zone are you in? I'm in this time. It goes back and forth and back and forth, and then you might never even get there to have a conversation with this individual. A better way of doing things would be, hey, here's my Calendly link. This has all my availability on it. Select a time that works for you for a 30-minute meeting, and it'll automatically populate a Zoom link, which will then jump on the call at that date and time. And it'll also auto-populate in my Google Calendar, so I'll know when it's coming and I'll be able to jump on the call and not be late. And so all those things being integrated is very important and seamless in that now you're clearing your schedule to make sure you're available for the call. Now you're ready for the call because you know it's going to be on Zoom. And so you're setting up your Zoom and testing that out and making sure it works. And that's just step one. Now, what do you even ask when you get that person on the other end of the line? Because everyone hears the advice find a mentor, network, do informational interviews, or even, I'm not going to name any organizations, but there are organizations that have mentors and mentees, and I'm even on those as a mentor. And it's a great concept in principle. The problem is the people who are looking for mentors don't know what to ask. The mentees don't know what to ask the mentors. They don't know good questions to even ask because they don't know where to start. Because again, they were in the shoes that I was in, which was I need help and I don't know what step one is. Like I literally don't know what the first step forward is. So knowing what questions to ask is key and it goes beyond the advice you get of, hey, connect, find a mentor, do informational interviews, grow your network. Sure, cool. But the most important part of that entire concept is the next step, which is what do you ask? So. There are good questions to ask and there are bad questions to ask. A bad question to ask would be about pay or anything like that right off the bat because you're just not there yet. You're not doing a job interview and you might be burning a bridge with an employer who's not going to give you that information anyway because that's not their role. What you want to do is research that person and their background and find out 
what business unit they're in within the company, what role they have, and how that contributes within the company. If you're interested in that role, coming up with very specific questions regarding that role, things about company culture. What's the company culture like? It says this on the website, but is that true? It says they support veterans, that there's an ERG for veterans. Is that really robust, though? Is that active or not so much? What kind of support do you get? What would be the, the training pipeline if I start out in this entry-level role? How quickly could I potentially move up? What kind of challenges do you think I'll face in the kind of role that you have? What challenges have you faced? Did you come straight out of the military? Because typically you're going to connect with other veterans. That's the hack we have, right? Is that we can reach any company almost in the world because there's a veteran who works there that'll be willing to talk to you. And that's a hack that we have that others don't because veterans do want to help other veterans. We have that connection and that becomes access to a company. You got to be careful with that because you don't want to burn that bridge. And what we teach in our course at Pre-Veteran is that you have to treat different people differently. You need to make decisions with your spouse and significant other. That's your core team, your core decision makers. Your internal network, that would be friends and family. They're going to give you unsolicited good advice, at least unfiltered advice that can be valuable. So you talk to them differently than your spouse. And then these are external subject matter experts that we're talking about here. You want to talk to them much differently than you would your spouse or a family member or close friend. They're not your buddy. They're someone who works in the industry. You're trying to get some of their time. They're providing value to you and they're taking time out of their day when they're very busy. And so to me, you need to be prepared and have good questions to ask so you're not wasting their time. Also, by the way, they could be your potential hiring manager and employer. So you want to come across as professionally as you can so that if you do want to seek a job with them down the road, that you've had a positive interaction and you start building a relationship with them. So this is a key part that people just brush over and leave out, but it's the most important thing. It's the thing that got me the job that I have. And it's the, man, you just laid out so much good information that I've used in the past that I can 100% support and back up. First, the Calendly link. Oh my gosh, that's a game changer. I remember the first couple of times over the first couple of weeks that I was setting up my calendar, like setting up these meetings with these people going back and forth on LinkedIn, like, when are you free? This is when I'm free. Tell me when you're free next week. Okay. What's your email? Send them a email with the link. They accept it. And that was such a pain and so hard to track. And then you forget to add it to your calendar and then you miss the meeting. So you look like a jackass and whatever. So much easier to just go, here's a Calendly link. I'll see you whenever you schedule time. And that was a major game changer for me when it came to professionally networking in preparation for my transition. And then I cannot begin to emphasize your point about coming to meetings prepared with questions enough. There is not a worse way to show up to a meeting with a mentor that is giving you their time than showing up with no questions. And being like, okay, mentor me now. 
And it's just terrible. And I think that though lots of great wisdom, those are the two things that I think are just so incredibly transformational for people when they decide to actually take this networking aspect of their transition seriously. So I think those are excellent call outs. And so going back to your history a little bit, so you go through pre-vet and you said you came out with this transformed viewpoint from where you were to where you were going to be. And I want to talk about how pre-vet does that later. Right now, I'm curious, what was your perspective? And then what was your perspective after pre-vet? Yeah, and then so what did you do after that? Yeah, for sure. Like I was explaining before that <clears throat> before the course, I was really doing a lot of unproductive activities, getting my PMP, pursuing MBA education, just shotgun blasting anything I could think of, right? I'm sure it w- would have been only a week or two before I got my Lean Six Sigma and had my Cyber Plus, whatever, security, whatever it is. Security just, Plus? Security yeah. Plus, that's the cert. I would have just, it's like Pokemon, got to catch them all. Like you're just getting things because they're there. And so that's what I was doing before the course. Going through the course, I realized, holy cow, I actually need to answer these bigger questions first. I'm zooming way in when I actually have no idea what I want to do. And I need a framework to go through that. And so Pre-Veteran offered a framework and a mindset to go through that because I realized in the military, so just zooming out for a second on Pre-Veteran, how the company is structured and its whole genesis comes from your mindset and thinking process that if you can understand how your brain operates and functions, you can get out of your own way in many regards and become much more efficient and successful. So that's very high level. Now, to dig in on that and what that means, your brain automatically, without you realizing it, leans on long-term memories to deal with current challenges. And so that happens without you physically doing anything. Your brain's just operating that way in the background without your say-so. When you've built up lots of long-term memories from the military over five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years, that becomes the lens through which you see everything, which in the military is great. But when you look at the military environment and then you look at the private sector environment, you have to realize that those environments are completely different. Their very existence is different. The military is funded by taxpayers, by Congress. The military doesn't have to generate revenue. Private companies have to generate revenue or they stop existing. The military will always exist. It's assured to exist as long as we have a country. So understanding these very fundamental differences between the two environments is a key starting point to realize that what I learned and did in the military, there is a lot of value in. I learned a lot and I have a lot to bring to the private sector. But first I need to understand the private sector and understand how to leverage what I learned in the military in an efficient way. And it's up to me, the onus is on me as an individual to actually align to the private sector. It's not on the private sector 
to align to me because 93% of people have never served and have no military affiliation. And that's who the private sector is. So I understand there's a lot of veteran advocates out there that say veterans are completely plug and play, that they don't have to do any training, that they have no transformation, that they just come straight out of the military and they become the best employee on earth. And from where I sit and looking at the data and doing what I've done now with pre-veteran, I know that's not true. And that's not to disparage the military member. That's just to give you a harsh reality and a wake-up call to say you do need to prepare and do transformation in order to optimize your success in the private sector. And that's super important. That message doesn't get out there enough, I think, because stakeholders only want to put out a positive message regarding veterans. But when we talk to veterans as individuals, we need to let them know that there is work to be done and the environments are not exactly the same. They are different environments. And if you're going to any other different environment, going through any other major life transformation, you would realize that you're going to have gaps and misalignments if you don't do any preparation. And so that's a long way of saying that mindset transformation is geared towards that idea that we're going to have gaps and misalignments, that how your brain operates in the background is based on long-term memories. And all we teach in the course in terms of mindset is that this truth exists and we need you to be in a position where when thoughts pop into your brain automatically, you need to be able to take a step back instead of immediately acting on them. You need to be able to take a step back, observe that thought from an outsider perspective, and then consider is this productive or counterproductive to my employment and my military transition? Because maybe what you're doing doesn't make a whole lot of sense, like getting a PMP. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm going to get my PMP, but I'm not going to be a project manager. So if you observe that for long enough, you go, okay, that's not a good idea. So this is what we're talking about, that you need to be in a position where you can actually hold your thoughts captive. And by the way, that cuts across employment. This has to do with wellness, well-being, and a lot of things you'll experience emotionally as you go through your military transition. You need to have this set of tools available to you to be in control of your mindset as you go through the different stages of your transition and after. Because that's a huge causal factor for lots of things that we know are issues in the veteran community. So that's why we focus so much on that cognitive neuroscience piece. And that's why it's such a cornerstone of our program that you either have a bunch of long-term memories associated with something from your military time and you try to apply that one for one. Hey, I did cyber in the military. It's exactly the same in the private sector. There's no differences. I know what I'm doing. I'm highly competent in this military cyber world, so I'm highly competent in the private sector cyber world. Maybe in a lot of ways, but there's also probably some significant differences that you don't realize. And so you need to just be in a position where you can take a step back and look at those thoughts. And then when it comes to the other side of the memory spectrum, when you don't have any memories associated with something, what does your brain do? So we talked about when you have lots of memories, your brain has this bravado and confidence that maybe is 
misplaced, we'll say, in some cases, or at least it needs to be interrogated. When you have no memories associated with something, like, for instance, I've never gotten out of the military, I have no idea how to do that. At pre-veteran, we call that the brain gap. And what your brain does in that scenario is it looks out into the external environment for new information, and it takes in whatever new information it can find, whether or not it is true or accurate, and then it acts on that information. So that becomes problematic because you start doing unproductive activities and spinning your wheels when you don't necessarily have good guidance on if that information was helpful or not. So you need a different framework to to navigate these things. And you need a set of tools in order to hold your thoughts captive and have a different mindset. So you can start thinking about things from the perspective of a employer in the private sector who's looking to fill a job role. Because if you can start looking at it from an employer perspective and start aligning to the private sector, you're going to easily, in that case, be able to talk about your background and experience. And you're going to easily be able to apply it to the role for which you're applying and come across very ready and come across very positively to an employer if you do that work. Because You'll understand the role. You'll understand how the role makes money for the company. And that interaction is more than likely going to be extremely positive. So that's the kind of mindset transformation we're talking about is that it's a total shift. When you're going to a new environment, you need a different mindset. That's just the matter of fact how it is. And we know that because we do it in the military. We do it in training, actually. When we're getting ready for a deployment, what do we do? We get ready for the environment we're about to go in. If it's cold weather, guess what? We do training for cold weather. If they speak another language, guess what? We have someone on the team who speaks that other language or we're ready for that interaction in some way or another. So we do that preparation in the military and then for some reason that breakdown happens when we're getting out that we think we can just go into this other new environment with no change to ourselves or our mindset or our training. I think we, for whatever reason, I think veterans don't, it's so hard for us to apply skills and experiences that we've learned cross functionally from the military and into the civilian world. Because like you said, we're used to doing spin-ups and all of these different training evolutions that prepare us for new environments in the military. But for whatever reason, it's hard for us to then take that observed fact of life and then apply it to ourselves as an individual the second we're pulled out of our organizational norm, which is a um, which is a very interesting piece of cognitive dissonance. And I don't know, something that I find very, very fascinating to say the least. Well, we learn to become generalists, right? In the military, you get, you have your primary job, your secondary job potentially. And then at the end of the day, you do whatever the unit needs because your boss has a set of requirements. Some billets are going to be gapped. The job needs to get done. And in the military, you end up doing all these different tasks that have nothing to do with your primary or secondary job. And you get placed in different roles throughout your career and sets of orders that you go through. And so you become a very good generalist. If you were to put all your background and skills on a resume, you'd look like a crazy person because 
it wouldn't be clear for which role you're applying or what you're trying to accomplish because you've done so many different things. It just doesn't make sense to an employer because that's not how the private sector works. The private sector wants a very specific person for a very specific role. And there are very defined swim lanes for that. And so if you go in to that experience and you put everything on your resume that you've ever done in the military, it's not going to come across very well. Whereas if you have this new mindset that I'm talking about, you understand the employer's perspective and you understand this role at a deep level and how this role helps the company make money. Now you're picking and choosing things out of your background and experience and putting only the most relevant things on your resume and you're wording it and you're able to communicate it in such a way that it actually makes sense to the employer how you're going to add value to the team. And you're able to do that because you understand the role. And that's those are the tools that we need as military folks. Like we don't need a ONET skills translator or whatever tools out there to say, hey, I was a military pilot. How do I translate that skill? Well, it would give me a million things that have to do with being a pilot. But maybe I don't want to be a pilot. Maybe I want to do something else. And like I said, limiting your possibilities. If you want to limit your possibilities, use a skills translator. If you want to do something potentially different or explore different opportunities, transform your mindset because that's what's going to pay off at the end of the day. And that's what's going to have a long reaching effect after you get out. And again, this isn't just for employment. This is a lot more than that. I would agree with the fact that a transformational mindset sets you up for success in a broad scale versus just in employment. And I think that the rest of your transition outside of your deployment is by far in a way the hardest or the not the hardest. It is the hardest, but the most overlooked aspect of your transition, which is figuring out who are you, what is your identity outside of the military and the organization that's provided you with a lot of qualities of life and your overarching purpose through service to the nation um, prior to leaving the military. And I think that is a, for whatever reason, it's by far and away the most overlooked aspect of the transition that no one talks about, but then everyone has a problem with it when they get out. Yeah. And, and you've had guests on that have talked about that extensively. So I'm not going to rehash that. You got Harold and mm. Wayne and all these guys that have discussed those things about identity and purpose and veterans. So I'm not going to revisit that. I would encourage people to watch your other videos out there because you've had some awesome guests that have explored those topics very well and probably better than I could speak to you now. But I just want to share that this mindset piece is so key because it cuts across a lot of the issues that we see out there. Employment's super important because it's not just, hey, I want to make a lot of money when I get out. It has to do with your sense of value as well because. Generally, in the military, when you're leaving, you're coming from a, a level of high competency and respect in that you've built up some credibility over time. You're more than likely in a leadership role of some kind overseeing different departments or parts of the unit. 
So you have a significant amount of responsibility and authority and respect. When you go into the private sector, in essence, you got to prove yourself over again, right? That no one really knows your background and experience. And if you have the expectation that they do, you're going to be wrong and you're going to be disappointed. So you have to go in knowing that, hey, I'm really starting over in a sense in terms of I need to prove myself. What's the best way to do that and to build credibility? It's to understand my job role and to show them that I'm whatever you think about a military guy, you think some negative things probably, these folks who have not served. They might have gathered stuff from movies or whatever. They have some assumptions about the military. You want to be the person who jumps into that job. You prove that you're the best candidate that they could have hired. And you show them all the best qualities that you could show them so that you're representing that background totally differently than they expected. And I think in that way, you can blow them out of the water. And then you can outwork and outperform them all day long, right? Because there is a lot of soft skills you gain in the military that I think give you a different perspective and experience that does add a ton of value, but it needs to be contextualized by understanding the nitty gritty technical parts of the role first. And then all those soft skills can go on top of that and become like gasoline on the fire. And it makes you stand out and outperform your peers significantly and and be an awesome employee. But if you try to just take the soft skills and make that the core of your performance, your job, it's going to miss the mark because you don't actually understand the role. So you're throwing darts at a wall, not knowing where the dartboard is. What I wanted to, what I want to ask you next though, is for, so you take the pre-vet course and, but now you work for pre-vet. So how did you get there? And then tell everyone out there who's listening, cause I know we're running short on time give everybody an actual, we've talked a lot about the mindset that pre-vet wants you to have, but give us the listeners the, what is the company? How did you get there? And then what is like, why should people seek you out when they're preparing for their transition? Yeah, absolutely. So pre-veteran, we're now characterizing ourselves as a veteran and military workforce development company. We also work with spouses But we really have three lines of effort. We do individual training, which is what I'm talking about to you today. We're also doing corporate training and higher ed training because a lot of these problems that we see that we're talking about here, folks coming out of the military are going into these companies and they're not doing the transformation that's needed. And then they end up taking a long time to onboard, being inefficient within these organizations. Their leadership doesn't recognize what's going on and doesn't know how to fix it. We've taken lessons learned from over 100 veterans going through our course over two years into the corporate world to help that side of the system. We're also going into higher ed because a lot of folks are coming out of the military. They think they do an extended transition in higher ed by just getting a degree using their GI Bill. But guess what? At the end of that degree program, they're running into the same issues because then it's back to square one who am I, what do I want to do, and what am I going to do with this degree, you just kick the can down the road. So that's our higher ed piece. Our individual training is what I'm talking about in how I joined the team. I worked in industry for a while, obviously, and enjoyed working in commercial real estate. Pre-veteran was growing this whole time, and I became a big advocate of the course because of my own success. I had a job lined up on terminal leave 
I beat out someone who had a master's degree in that field for the job itself, just because I understood the things which I've conveyed to you. And I was even able to negotiate a higher salary on that first job offer. And again, I've never worked in this industry. I've never worked in commercial real estate. So to be able to have an outcome like that without ever having worked in the industry is pretty awesome. So I felt like I needed to share that success with others because of what I'd been through and I saw how unique the program was. So I became an advocate, just friends and family, people I knew that were going to go through transition. I was advocating for pre-veteran. Meanwhile, I'm working my job. So beginning of this year, as pre-veteran grew, Jason, the founder of pre-veteran, gave me a call and just said, hey, we're growing the team. Would you like to join us? And it was perfect timing for me, actually, because the commercial real estate industry was getting more and more wobbly, we'll say, with interest rates rising and things going on. And I'm brand new to the industry, so I'm like in a very dangerous position. At the same time, I love pre-veteran what the mission was and what we were doing. And so I, I jumped on board and starting this year was full-time with pre-veteran as director of operations. So that's how that came to be. And just a little bit about what we're doing now. I talked about our three lines of effort and those three pipelines of training that we're doing. The individual training is really our core and what we're trying to do at the end of the day, because that's where we're getting to folks one to three years before they transition well ahead of time. And we're trying to get them to go through our five-week virtual employment prep course. We hold it three times a year. So we do it in a cohort model, even though it's a standalone course you can do anywhere in the world. We do it in this cohort model so that folks can gather together, talk about it together, and do it in a group setting. So the course is, again, hosted on a learning management system available anywhere. Five-week course, about two to three hours a week time commitment. And so you can do it in your free time on the evenings. And then at the end of each week material, we do a Zoom call with the whole cohort. We answer questions and go over that week's material and any trends. And then we open up the next week's material. So we have it gated because we don't want folks to just click through the training like they do with their military training. We want them to take time and to go through one week at a time and actually start that transformational process. We really address those three gaps that I mentioned to you, the communication gap, the mindset and decision-making gap, and then the last one would be aligning to the private sector. So those are the main gaps we see from folks going out of the military environment into the private sector environment. We address those three gaps in the course, and then we bring it to bear in the last two weeks of the course by having them go do. Okay, you learn this stuff, now go put it into action, go do it and show us the results. And then after they finish the course, we acknowledge that they still have a couple of years left in the military. We don't want them to go through this course and then just drop it and not think about it again and lose the value that they got. So we have an alumni community that we developed where after you finish the course, you go into the community and we help you navigate a lot of career questions you're still going to have. We help you explore different industries through the, the different business units. And then we also get you some of those line items that we know you're going to have to figure out when you transition your VA claim, private insurance, life insurance, financial readiness, healthcare, all of these line items that go into a military transition, health and wellness. 
a lot of these preparation pieces, they take deliberate thought and time to go through, but we have subject matter experts for each one of those line items that has provided free material on the community. So they finish the course, they go into the community, and then they can see all this free material. And there's also events hosted by those subject matter experts as well. So at the end of the day, they can see all of the things they're going to have to do over the next year or two, and they can start knocking them out and doing them. And they can start outsourcing some of those tasks to other people who might be able to even make them more efficient with it. So that's why we developed the community. It's a start to finish process in that case, because we're getting from where you are now, not knowing what the heck's next, how do I start? thinking about transition all the way to now you know exactly what you're going to do, the job down to the industry company role and level. You're already building a network within that. And you have all these line items you're starting to knock out like your VA claim and all these other things because you can have your VA claim filed six months before you get out. And you should do that. That's the best way to do it. And if you don't realize that, well, we have a bunch of information kind of sharing with you why you should do that. So we help try to take the stress out of the entire process because it is such an emotional and stressful process, especially if you try to cram for the test and do it all last second, it becomes overwhelming. And we have a tendency in the military to do that, right? That we don't see the problem until it's like right there in our face. And then it's too late in a lot of ways. We try to advocate, hey, let's get to you one to two years, three years before you get out. That way we have the time and the room and the space to actually do some transformation, do some iterations and figure out what this process looks like. And so we know from our data that it's super effective. We have great testimonials. So go visit our website, preveteran.com. We have an employment readiness quiz on there. I've also provided that. Yep. Check, the, check the description of the podcast in either YouTube or Spotify for the links to the website and the survey. Yeah, so that would be awesome. Um, so if you take the survey, it literally takes three minutes. And why we do that is you may think you're ready and you know exactly what you want to do. This employment survey QAs that. Are you really ready? What are you maybe asking some questions you hadn't thought of yet? that might get you to reflect on a couple of things. So that's the purpose of that. And we find people get a lot out of just doing that quick little quiz. But I can't speak enough on the fact that pre-veteran is unique in the space. I don't know anyone else that's getting to folks this early in the process, doing this kind of transformation and knowing the kind of impact that's going to have in the long term. And then sticking with you for the multiple years that you have left in the military, that it's not just a transactional relationship that we are deeply tied in with our students and we are deeply aligned with them being successful. And another benefit of the community is you're building a network outside of your military unit that there's people in there who have already gotten out. We have a Marine Corps helicopter pilot who just went into the oil and gas industry as an operations engineer. And again, only because of that transformational process was he able to navigate that, build the relationships, understand the industry, and make that a success. But within that community, there's all kinds of folks who are in all different industries and can give you sound guidance and even potentially a job. It's just a great opportunity that 
we're in this position now that we get to train folks, get them more ready for their transition, and then help them all the way through the process into the backside where they're successfully employed and we see they're happy and healthy because they have their autonomy back. If you think about it, how long did boot camp take? That's a very deliberate process. That's a deliberate process to take you from an individual to be conformed to a unit, right? And to be conformed to a military culture. That's what boot camp's about. On the backside, we have TAP, but we know that there are things that TAP just simply can't address because it has constraints. It's getting 180,000 people out of the military a year. There's only so much they can do. We know that transformation on the backside needs to happen, though, where you return to an individual. And that's what we're talking about, getting your autonomy back. We don't want you to be looking for your next set of orders or waiting for a headhunter to tell you, hey, this job's open. I can place you here. You might hate that job. You might not want to live there. Are you going to let them tell you what your next set of orders are? Or are you going to look at the landscape yourself and determine what's best for you and your family, where you want to live, what career you want, how much money you want to make, and how you can make that come to be a, a reality is really on you. We want to give you your autonomy back. We want you to be your own counselor when it comes to making these decisions between you and your family. And that's the best tool we could give you is to say, don't be dependent on us. We're going to give you the tools so that you can be dependent on yourself. And then you can be your best advocate because ultimately no one's going to care about your transition more than you. Yeah. Just how it is. Yeah. I think that's so true. And I think that if more people decided to take their transition into their own hands in that manner, we would have a lot more success stories and a lot less people that are on the other side that are sad. But Aaron, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on to the show today to talk about your life um, and also to inform and educate all the listeners on uh, pre-vet. I think that it just sounds, it sounds like an amazing program certainly caught my eye when I reached out to you to have you onto the show. And I'm hopeful that you all as an organization will be able to impact a lot of people moving forward. And so thanks so much for coming on and being able to give all this amazing information. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate it. And I would advocate that people go back and watch your other guests because they said so many great things about the importance of community, of identity and purpose, about faith and finding your values. There's just a lot that has already been said that I don't necessarily want to go over again because your other guests said it well. But what we're doing at Pre-Veteran is a little bit unique with the mindset and with starting the process early. So we ask that you reach out to us on LinkedIn, wherever you can reach out to us on our website. We will get back to you. We get back to everybody because we are passionate about this. Hmm. And we're passionate about making happier and healthier veterans that just have better outcomes and better lives because they have their autonomy back and they're not depending on someone else to do something yeah. for them. Yeah. And I'll make sure that all of your guys' website, the survey, socials, all of that are tagged in the social media and the podcast and YouTube description. So if you are interested in what Aaron's throwing down, go to the descriptions to check all that out. And 
by the way, I appreciate the humility and for the call out to watch my other episodes, but I'm sure if we had time to delve into those other subjects, you would have been able to do that very amazingly, but definitely don't, we don't have time, unfortunately, but thank you again for coming on to the show today, Aaron. It's been absolutely amazing getting to talk to you for everyone who's out there, who's listening. Thank you so much for taking the time to make it to the end of the episode. We really appreciate it. As we've said before, if you're interested in pre-vet and want to take their pre-survey, those links are going to be included in the descriptions on whatever platform you are currently watching on. And as always, if you like the content, sling us if you're on YouTube, if you're on Spotify or YouTube, give us a follow or subscribe. It really helps the channel and our reach. And thanks so much for being here. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Post-Military Podcast. Peace.